You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Adam Mutasib. Well, if you're here last week, uh, I mentioned that uh, one of our members, uh, Linda, lost her cat. And she just told me that her cat came home this week. Yeah, we're so happy. Right, Linda? She was like, she came up, to, she was talking to me during the second song. She was like, prayer works. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, it does. Yeah, that stuff works. That's why we pray in the service, man. Well, I mentioned that uh, about last week. Well, also, if you were here last week, we talked about election. And we, we were really talking about what Paul calls in verse 3 of chapter 1, every spiritual blessing. And that's really what chapter 1 is it's, it's a description of all the spiritual blessings you have if you're a Christian. This six, section is, is the single greatest panoramic view of all that salvation entails for the Christian. A few months ago, I was invited to New York City, and uh, I was uh, brought to a skyscraper, like a tower by one of my friends. And we were like basically up in the clouds looking at the vastness of New York City. And he would point out, like, you know, there's the Empire State Building, and there's the Brooklyn uh, Bridge, and, and that's, that's the best pizza joint in the city. And being on the tower wasn't necessarily the best way to get to know the city, but it was the best way to see the city's sheer size and its scope. Actually, this building right here, you can kind of do the same thing. They have this really tall area. You can oversee all of Baltimore. And it's not really the best way to get to know Baltimore, but you can really see how big it is, how many people there are. And Ephesians 1 is essentially a panoramic view of our salvation in Christ. It doesn't go into much detail, therefore I'm not going to go into much detail, but it just simply gives us a wide-angle view. It shows us the sheer size and scope of all of God's gifts to us when we come to Jesus. And let's keep in mind also as we go through these that Paul tells us that he has blessed us. When he says us, that means Christians. So Paul uses this term over and over again in the book of Ephesians, in Christ. And what that means is apart from Christ, we have no spiritual blessings, and in Him we have every spiritual blessing. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and we're so glad you're here, this text is a summary of all the benefits of being a Christian. It's like a a membership benefits guide to the Christian. And there's an open invitation for you to join the party. I remember the first time I went to Merritt Clubs, you know, that, that fancy gym down the street. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of benefits here. Like a rooftop pool with a bar. There's a, you know, a basketball court, which is hard to find in the city. There's childcare. There's weights. What's the price again? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And then somebody, uh, there's like this pastor program where they'll pay like half of your, your gym membership. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm in now. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. These benefits are worth the cost. Or essentially, Ephesians 1 is like, here are all the benefits no cost. Jesus paid it. So come enjoy. And so we would invite you, come enjoy him. And if you are a Christian, if you already are in him, Paul says he has blessed us. So that's past tense, meaning all these blessings that we're about to go through have already come to you in at least seed form. The moment you become a Christian, in at least the very seed form, the tiny form at least, and it will only grow and expand as you grow in the faith. So you don't have to wait for these blessings. They're here, they're available, they're present now. So uh, this section is organized into three parts. 
You have verses 3 through 6, which we saw last week. The blessings from the Father. I only covered one. We'll cover one or two more this week. Verses 7 through 10 is blessings from the Son. We'll briefly cover those as well. And then verses 11 through 14, we see blessings that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Last week, we saw election in verse 4. That was wild. Thanks for coming back. I'm glad you did. Now, let's move fairly quickly, panoramically, through the other six blessings Paul lists here. What is the purpose Paul says, of God choosing you before the foundations of the world. Election isn't the end in and of itself. Look at verse 4. Paul says, even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chose you if you're a Christian. What has he chosen you to do? End of verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's a fancy theological term for this. It's called sanctification. Sanctification is the opposite of something that's common. It means something that's set apart. Basically, what this is saying is if you are a Christian, you've been sanctified, and you are being sanctified. Let me help you understand what this means. A few uh, months ago, one of our members, a guy named Samson, who's a collector of Jordans, gave me my first pair of Jordans. If you wonder why I was looking so fly today, it's the Jordans, you see. Then my first pair ever, I don't know what, what I was doing. Actually, Angel was like, hey, you make sure they don't crease. You know, she was helping me out. Thank you, Angel. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. I was actually walking out the door this morning. I'm like, hey, does this top go with these shoes? And my wife was like, mm. I didn't say I know what I was doing. I just like, these are my Jordans. I'm excited about them. If you look in my closet, my Jordans are set apart from the rest of my shoes. I look for opportunities to wear my Jordans. They are put back in the box after every use. They are meticulously cleaned every time they are made a mark on them. And if you step on them, I will rebuke you in Jesus' name. (laughs) And then I will forgive you. And if you do it again, we will enact church discipline on you. (laughs) Paul says to Christians here, you are God's Jordans. (laughs) You're set apart. You're clean. You're different. I mean, what other church do you get to recite the Apostles' Creed and talk about Jordans? I mean, (laughs) welcome to RCC, man. You are different from the rest of the worldly closet. That's a blessing. Why are we now sanctified? Well, Paul mentions two tandem benefits of our union with Christ, one negative benefit and one positive benefit. Sanctified means we have something removed from us, And then also it means we have something supplied to us. What's removed from us? Well, notice he says we're blameless in verse 4. Blameless here means if you're a Christian, you're without blemish in God's eyes. You see, you and I, if we're being honest, if, if the inner parts of you and I were laid bare before this room this morning, we would be pretty embarrassed. We'd be pretty ashamed. You know, each of us have little nuggets and crevices of our life that if people saw, they would cancel us pretty quickly. And God says here, when you come to Jesus, all of those shameful parts get wiped away in his eyes. Every outstretched finger that's pointed at you has been moved to Christ on the cross. And now it's pointed to him. Every sin you've ever done was nailed at the cross where he is. He shoulders the burden of your blame. Hebrews 10.10 says, if you're a Christian, 
we have been sanctified, essentially, we have been made blameless through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what does this mean? This means if you're a Christian, you have no longer any need to live with any sense of shame anymore. I don't know about you, but when I get a speeding ticket and I pay off that speeding ticket, I don't keep sending the government money. I don't write an apology letter like, I cannot believe I did this, it was so wrong. I pay it and it's done. Blameless means Jesus paid it and it's done. All the ugly parts of you. And it also means something is supplied to you, not just removed from you. Holiness. If all we were was blameless spiritually, then we would be spiritually neutral. You know, I remember uh, when I first paid off my college debt, I, I was, for the first time in my life, not in the red. And my bank account was at like $15. And I went to Applebee's with my friends, and I ordered a water, and I mooched off their food. It doesn't feel great to have zero dollars. Holiness means that the righteousness God has required is the righteousness God has supplied. God does not pay off your debt and leave you with a zero-sum balance. God opens the vaults of heaven and pours out the riches of all of Christ's obedience and goodness and holiness into your heavenly account. I used to work at a bank, BB&T, worst job ever. If you work at bb it doesn't exist anymore, so you can't be mad at me. It's truest now. And I used to make deposits and withdrawals for clients, for customers. And they would come in, and some clients would make like a $250,000 deposit for their account. And I remember thinking as a college student, making $12 an hour with like, I think it was like $100 or $200 in my checking account. I didn't even have a savings account. And I would daydream, like, what if I just accidentally put that deposit in my account? I was like, oops. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? My bad, guys. And when Paul says we aren't just blameless, but we're holy, we're holy, that means the lifetime of work Jesus put into being the kind of person you always dreamed of being, but you couldn't be. The kind of selflessness you dream of having. The kind of patience you long to possess with your kids and your spouse and your friends. The kind of goodness that makes everyone around you so much better. That kind of life is deposited into the wrong account. Yours. Holiness means that all the things that Jesus Christ deserves for everything he's done, all of his honors, when you're united with him, they're yours. God treats you as if you did all that Jesus did. You know, there's an old NCIS episode. There's so many of those, like, cop shows, aren't there? It's crazy. Well, there's one episode where there's a guy in the show who uh, the detectives suspect is a criminal. He's a, he's a suspect. And they're investigating him, and then, shockingly, the detectives find out that this criminal is a former Marine. And a, a moment ago, they were being rude to him, interrogating him, messing with him. And then suddenly he flashes to them his Congressional Medal of Honor. And immediately everyone in the room stands up and salutes him, honors him, because of the medal that's pinned to his chest. He's not a criminal anymore, he's a war hero. And when Paul says, you're holy, 
What that means is that all the medals that are pinned to Jesus Christ's chest, all of his achievements are now pinned to your chest. If you're a Christian, God sees you as blameless, as if you did nothing wrong. And he sees you as holy as his own son. And that will change how you live. It really will change how you live. It will change how you defeat sin in your life. You know, psychologists describe this phenomenon called a self-fulfilling prophecy. You might have heard of this. Basically, studies have shown that if you tell a kid he's stupid, over and over again, he'll start believing it. And statistically, his grades will very likely decline because he thinks he's stupid. If you tell a kid he's special, he's got potential, he's really smart, proven scientific fact, his grades will very likely improve. What that means, scientists tell us, psychologists tell us, is that your identity shapes your behavior. Your identity shapes your behavior. What you believe about yourself influences how you act. There's a scene in the movie Avengers uh, Endgame where uh, there's a bad guy named Thanos and he has a daughter named Nebula. And Nebula becomes good later on in the timeline, but she travels back in time and she talks and she meets her old self, old evil Nebula. And good future Nebula is talking to old evil Nebula and says, stop, as old Nebula is about to destroy the world and hand Thanos the Infinity Stones. And good Nebula looks at bad Nebula and says, please don't do this, you don't need to do this. And bad Nebula looks at her and says, I am this. I am this. Wrong identity equals wrong actions. Very same person, very different people. Very different identities. And a lot of Christians are walking around like old, bad nebula with the wrong identity. I am a sinner. I am an addict. I am a failure. I can't stop with this lie. I can't stop looking at porn. It's just who I am. And it perpetuates the sin cycle. And the answer to you trying to defeat that sin this morning isn't just try to be better. It's remember who you already are. Remember whose you are. I am this. Like Nebula says, I am holy. I am blameless already in the eyes of God. Therefore, I will be who I already am. You know, every other religion in the world will tell you, go and try and be holy. And if then you do good, God will probably call you holy. And what happens is either we fail and we just completely give up because we can't do it, or we succeed more than everyone else and we get stuffed with pride and no one else wants to be around us anymore. But only in the gospel does God say, you are not holy, but I have made you holy through my son. You are blameless in my eyes, so go be who you already are. You are the Jordans of this worldly closet, God is saying. So start acting like whoever I've already made you to be. And yeah, we all get scuffs on us sometimes. But we wipe them off and we remember who we are, who God has made us to be, holy, blameless. We've been blessed not just with election from the Father, but sanctification. Now you notice that little phrase in the end of verse 4, after verse 4 it says, in love. Now, it's hard to tell whether that, that word, the phrase in love is tied to what was before or what was after. You were chosen to be holy in love or that you've been chosen for adoption in love. I tend to think the latter, that God chose you to be holy 
And then in love, he chose you also to be his son or daughter. Verse 5, it says, in love, he predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So what this is saying is we don't just get Christ's sanctity, we also get his sonship. And that's pretty incredible, right? J.I. Packer said that adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers us. And what a privilege it is to be adopted into God's family. Packer says our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to summarize the New Testament in one word, Packer says, here it is, adoption. If you want to know how well someone understands Christianity, find out how much they make of being called God's child and having God as their dad. And there are 20 million kids in the U.S. who will go to bed tonight without a father. They have a biological father, but they don't have a dad. One out of every three children do not have a dad. One out of every three. Well, the Bible tells us God loves the fatherless. He loves adopting the fatherless. And to be a Christian means you did not win God over. You didn't woo him into loving you. But like a loving couple walks into an orphanage in a foreign country and sees an abandoned child that no one else wants, before the foundations of the world, God saw you and decided he wanted you at great cost to himself and at no cost to you to bring you into his family. I mean, think about the realities of that. Adoption is one of those relational changes that will flip everything in your life around. Adoption means security. You don't fire your kid, right? You can't let them go. They're your kid. Adoption means wealth. I mean, everyone's born poor. No one's born with any amount of material blessing. But if you're born into a rich family, then suddenly you're rich. You inherit a share of their wealth. God, God is saying here, you have a portion of my wealth. Adoption means access. Last week I was going to the bathroom, and my son walks in while I'm going to the bathroom. And we're having, he's like having a conversation with me while I'm going to the bathroom. No one else gets that kind of access. Paul's saying here, God doesn't go to the bathroom, but you get that kind of access. Adoption means those and a million other blessings are yours because you're God's kid. He chose you to be his kid. And this, Paul says, is through Jesus Christ. What that means is Jesus Christ signed your adoption papers with his blood. We are sons and daughters not through birth, but by being born again in Christ. And notice he says in verse 6, he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, what does that mean? The beloved Paul is talking about here is Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. It is only through Christ, once again, that we receive all of these blessings, including adoption. And when you're adopted, what Paul is saying is that what's happened is you've been caught up in the love that the Father has for the Son. You've been caught up in that love. What the heck does that mean? Let me get the help of a rapper. There's a rapper named Shylin, who's a baller. Shylin says this really well in his song, Perfect Love. He says, in love, we were predestined for adoption as a son, not for anything that we've done. Check Ephesians chapter 1. Look, when we lived as God's opponents, he gave his only son for atonement. We've got to see he can't possibly love us more than he does this moment. Come on. In love, he justified us. In love, he sanctifies us. So we don't have to jump through hoops to try and make him like us. 
One thing we can, truly cannot fathom, we're stunned. The Father loves us with the very love he has for his son. <laughs> I appreciate my cheer section up here. I appreciate it. Yeah, you want to come beatbox for me next time? I'm happy to have you do that. Why does he love us like he loves Jesus? Verse 5, it was according to the purpose of his will, he says. Now, that, that's a little uh, general. Another translation more accurately gets across what the Greek is saying here. Uh, the NLT says, God did this because it gave him great pleasure. What, what does that mean? What that means is that God actually enjoys loving you. It's his favorite hobby. Loving you. I just find that really comforting. You know, you go up to a, a, an engaged couple that's about to get married, and you hear them say all the time, I love you. And I do premarital counseling, and I ask questions like, tell me what it is about this person that you love. And they'll say things like, well, I love how safe he makes me feel. Or I love how she smells. I, I guess someone has said that before, I don't know. I love how kind she is to everybody. I love how attractive he is. I love how much fun we have together. And those are all beautiful reasons to love somebody, but the scary part of those statements is the subtext of those reasons is, I better keep this up. If I want to keep her love, if I want to keep his love, if I want to sustain the covenant, I need to keep making her feel safe. I need to keep being kind. I need to keep up my skin routine so I stay attractive. But God is saying here, his love isn't conditioned on anything that you provide him. He has no need that you meet. In Deuteronomy 7, this is wild. God says he loves Israel even though they're the smallest, puniest nation on the earth. Why? Why, God, do you love this small, puny nation? You know the reason he says, Deuteronomy 7? Because I love them. Which doesn't really make sense. It's actually circular reasoning. I love you because I love you. And if you think about it, it's actually a very comforting thought. If you were to ask God this morning, why do you love me? Why did you adopt me as your kid? He wouldn't say because of anything you provide him. He wouldn't say because you make me feel safe or because you're kind or because you have so much potential. No, he would say, I love you just because I love you. I love loving you. And he tells us here in Ephesians 1, it was just according to my great pleasure. He loves us because he loves us. Only God can say that. Only God can say that. You know, my family was uh, having a family day yesterday. We were just hanging out as a family in the living room. And my wife looks at our kids, our three boys, and says, I love these boys so much, it almost hurts. And I'm like, you're a way better parent than I am. Yeah. <laughs> and God looked at you. And said, I love you so much, I'll be hurt so I can love you. And if you, if you really believe this, that the God of the universe loves you just because he wants to love you, before you did anything good, that is the ultimate unassailable foundation upon which to build a life. All other identities that you can get out there are radically insecure compared to that identity. That is an absolutely secure one. I love you just because I delight to love you. Because I'm love. Build your life on that truth. What a blessing.
We've been blessed by being chosen through election. We've been blessed by being made holy and blameless through sanctification. We've been blessed with adoption, being made sons and daughters of God. Now we're getting into the blessings of the Son, verse 7, redemption. That'd be a great name for a church, wouldn't it? Redemption. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Now here's where Jesus takes over. The Father planned our salvation. Jesus comes and accomplishes our salvation. He came to the earth and it says He redeemed us. What does redeemed mean? It means to be purchased and freed from captivity or freed from slavery. It's actually the same language used of Israel, having been freed by God from slavery in Egypt and brought to redemption in the promised land. Why are you holy and blameless before God? It's because Jesus came and paid the full price to settle the score of all your sins in their entirety all at once. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Redemption, at its core, what it means is you are as free from guilt and condemnation as if you died for that sin. Have you done something wrong? Something really wrong? If you're united with Christ, you are free from condemnation. As free as if you died for that sin. It's already been paid. And the payment came at an infinite cost through His blood, he says. Revelation says Jesus loves us and freed us by His blood. You know, it's a simple truth that we really need to ponder on and remember. Jesus loves you and He has freed you through His blood. In the first Harry Potter book, uh, Sorcerer's Stone, at the very end of the book, the evil villain tries to grab Harry Potter and he tries to kill Harry, but just grabbing Harry burns him. He can't touch Harry. And at the end of the book, Harry Potter asks his mentor, why couldn't the evil man touch me? And his mentor Dumbledore says, because your mother died for you. She gave her life to save you. And when someone experiences a love like that, it puts a power on you that no evil can deal with. Jesus dying for you put a power on you that no evil can touch. And because he has redeemed us and put a power over us, we have been, Paul says, forgiven. You notice that in the text? So redemption is linked with forgiveness. And that is your great need today, to be forgiven. I don't know if you remember the story in in the Gospels, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was teaching and uh, a couple buddies uh, had their paralyzed friend, and one of them, this got to be healed, and so they they went to Jesus, but the house that Jesus was in was packed, so they climbed on top of the roof and broke through Peter's roof, which I'm sure Peter was ticked about that. But they dropped their paralyzed friend through the roof at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus looks at this paralyzed guy on the mat and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone looks at Jesus like he served veggie burgers at the cookout. This is not what we wanted. We thought you were going to heal the guy. And Jesus eventually does heal the guy. But Jesus shows us something really important in that story. That your ultimate need is not physical. Your ultimate need is spiritual. Your ultimate need is to be forgiven. What you need more than anything else this morning more than anything else, is to be forgiven by God. And that's why we're a singing people this morning. 
We're praising God with the psalmist who said, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. With you, there's forgiveness in Christ. Let me just pause and ask you, do you believe all of these things that God is saying he has blessed you with? Seriously. I think a lot of these blessings can feel ethereal. But do you really believe you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world? Do you really believe you have been adopted by God? That you've been redeemed by Christ? You've been forgiven? That the whole world could look at you and, and say you're not good enough, but God looks at you and says you are totally holy and totally blameless in my eyes. And shouldn't that impact the way we live? There's a pastor named Tim Keller who was talking about counseling a woman in his congregation. She came in and, and she really wasn't moved by these blessings. She wasn't moved by her identity in Jesus. And I, honestly, I sympathize with her. I've had weeks, not, not long from today, where I read truths like this and said, okay, whatever. And so this woman comes like many of us do uh, to uh, Pastor Keller and she's all down and she's discouraged. And uh, Tim Keller goes through all these blessings that she has in Christ. She tell, he tells her, you've been elected by God. You've been sanctified by God. You've been adopted by God. You've been redeemed by God. You've been forgiven by God. And she says, yeah, but what good is that if I can't get a date? And if I'm being honest, I say stuff like that all the time. Like most of these blessings feel like a balloon floating around in the background. Okay, what? What good is that? If I can't get a date, what good is that if I can't graduate with honors? What good is that if I'm not better than everyone else at my job? You don't understand what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to reorient your life. Your identity issues are solved in this text. Your fear of man issues are solved in this text. Who you think you are is solved in this text. Just work these truths into your heart and pray God would make them come alive in you. You remember in the movie Rocky, where Rocky's talking to Adrian, I think, and she, he says to uh, Adrian, if I can't go the distance, then, I, then I'll know I'm not a bum. If I can go the distance, if I can do something successful like beat Apollo Creed or even just survive against Apollo Creed, then I'll realize I'm not a bum. And then he wins, and he still feels like a bum in Rocky 2, and Rocky 3, and Rocky 4, and Rocky 5, and Creed 1, and Creed 2. Every movie, he's just feeling like a bum. And what Rocky doesn't realize is what Paul is saying here is that winning a fight doesn't make you not a bum. Realizing your identity in Christ makes you not a bum. Realizing how God feels about you makes you not a bum. I would encourage you to just work these truths into your heart and pray, God, make them come alive in me. And all this happened, verse 7, according to the riches of God's grace. God has given you all this because of the riches of His grace. He says in verse 8, He has lavished us in grace, which is a great word, right? Lavished, meaning you can't get to the bottom of this. You can't get to the end of this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, or you are a Christian and you love bottomless mimosas, well, you're going to love Jesus because He offers bottomless grace. It just doesn't end. He lavishes you with all that you want and need. 
Verse 9, he says, we not only have redemption, but we also have revelation. I don't know about you, but your, your parents ever tell you, uh, we're about to have a serious discussion about something you can't be a part of, so I want you to go to your room. It happened to me a lot as a kid. Go upstairs and go to your room. We're to- the, adult, the adults are talking now. And I, don't, I was an evil kid, I guess, so I, I went to the top of the stairs and I eavesdropped. I wanted to hear what they were talking about. You ever climb up and I want to see through the window what's going on. We're all like Aaron Burr and Hamilton. I want to be in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. And Paul tells us, God has invited you into the room where it happens. You have revelation. You have an all-access pass to the situation room of heaven. You want to know what's going to happen? Verse 9, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. History, in other words, God is saying, is going somewhere. And the climactic conclusion is that all of it is going to be summarized or united in Jesus Christ. What he says, when he says to bring unity, what he means is that everything in this world is falling apart. Things fall apart. That's true at every level. It's the law of thermodynamics. Things are constantly decaying, falling apart. What is death? It's your body slowly falling apart. What is war? What is racism? What is poverty? It's things that should be together being split apart. And what he's saying here is when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to bring the presence of God to envelop the entire world and make it the Garden of Eden again. The whole world will be united and perfected and beautified under King Jesus, and you get to be a part of this plan. You are in the room where it's happening. Verse 11 is is a bit hard to translate, but it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Which, uh, there's some scholars have some differing views on this. Uh, your, Your translation actually might say this differently. And it either means that we have obtained an inheritance or that we are an inheritance. In other words, this next verse means we're waiting to inherit something from God or the people of God, us, are God's inheritance that will be consummated at the end of the world. And I think both are true, grammatically and theologically. We are going to inherit something, Jesus uniting everything under himself, and we are God's inheritance. He's going to take us as his people, his treasure, at the end of the world, which is kind of a wild thought, isn't it? I was talking to my assistant, Jen, about that verse this week, and she said, you know, I wonder how we would treat people in the church if we treated them like they were God's inheritance. I was like, you want to preach this sermon? That's really good. How would you forgive? How would you care? How would you talk if you treated everyone like they were God's inheritance? And so God, he's saying here, has, has blessed us by inviting us into the room where it happens. We don't have to sit at the top of the stairs and try and figure out what's happening in the world. We don't need to try and put the pieces together on a Reddit thread or watch end of the world YouTube videos. God has invited us into heaven's situation room and revealed his final plan. That we are his inheritance and that we have been chosen and redeemed and forgiven for his glory. And one day at the fullness of time, he will end sin and all its effects and unite everything under King Jesus and restore all of creation like it was in the garden. And you sit here and say, well, what good does that do me right now? Tomorrow's Monday morning. 
I got to go to work. Today I got to take care of my kids. What good is this for me now? And what this means, friend, is that when you come to Jesus Christ, the love of God has flooded your life. And that will never, ever end. And what this means is the worst, the very worst thing that can happen to you, the very worst thing is that you die and then he floods you with more life, more love, more glory at the end of time. You will go from life to life. You'll go from love to love, from glory to glory. That is the revelation that comforts us at this very moment. That's the blessing. It's a lot easier to watch a scary movie when you know the end of the story, isn't it? You know the end. And the, the main character is Jesus, and you don't die. Blessings from the Father, election, sanctification, adoption, blessings from the Son, redemption, revelation, last two blessings, blessings from the Spirit, protection is the sixth blessing. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is actually a reference to the ancient practice of letters being uh, closed with wax and then stamped on that wax with the personal seal of the sender. That way, when you received a letter with that, that seal, you knew who it was from. And it indicated, signified authenticity. It signified ownership. It signified security. Having God's seal on you means you are promised with God's protection. Remember in the book of Exodus, when the angel of death is bringing God's justice against Egypt, killing every firstborn in the land. The homes of the people of God were covered with the blood of the Lamb. It was a sign, a mark, it was a seal that prevented the angel of death from going into those homes and killing those firstborn children. It, it, was, it was a sign that they were protected. And when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, what that means is that the blood of the Lamb is covering the doorframe of your life. Nothing can really harm you. It's God's way of saying, you're safe forever. You have my seal, you're protected. And then finally, anticipation. Paul calls the Holy Spirit, in verse 14, a guarantee. We're protected by the Spirit of God, and we are guaranteed. Now, many times uh, an analogy will be used of this text, that the Spirit of God coming into our lives is like, uh, it's a guarantee like an engagement ring which is not a terrible analogy. There's some truths there, but I, I don't think an engagement ring is the best analogy because an engagement ring is not part of the wedding. And engagements don't always end in marriage, do they? Some of us know this the hard way. But in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the down payment of our salvation. I think that's a better illustration. You ever try and sell your house, but you can't sell it? But somebody comes and pays a down payment. What does that mean? They're going to buy the house. It's a sign that the rest is coming soon after. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on your life, signifying the future glory that is coming in even greater measure. You just got one-tenth of it. The rest is coming. And the Spirit isn't just guaranteeing us our final inheritance, but actually providing us with a foretaste of that inheritance. He gives us a taste of what the future is like. 
The Spirit is bringing the future to the present, guaranteeing our inheritance until, Paul says, we acquire possession of it. And what all this means is that when you come to Jesus Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit, the very genetic materials of God, spiritually, come into your life. God's DNA floods your life. And all the rest of your life is the outworking of that spiritual DNA of God that's already inside of you. The very lifeblood of God is in you. Until you fully develop into who God promises He will make you, someone who looks exactly like Jesus. And if this is true, what that means is that this guarantee means that there's no wound in you that cannot be healed. There's no broken thing in you that cannot be redeemed. And there's no binding habit in you that can, you cannot be liberated from. It gives us anticipation. So we've seen all these blessings. From the Father, election, sanctification, adoption. From the Son, redemption, revelation. From the Spirit, protection, anticipation. And let's remember as we close, how do we have all these blessings? Paul says it again and again, in Christ. He says they are through the blood of Christ. And let's remember that as we reflect on these promises this morning. You know, every time Jesus addressed God, you know, he called him Father. The only time Jesus didn't call God Father was when he was on the cross. He says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's almost like Jesus Christ lost his sonship so you and I could be adopted and brought in. Jesus Christ was elected for destruction, so you and I could be blessed with the election of salvation. Jesus Christ was cursed with our uncleanness, so you and I could be blessed with his sanctification and purity. Jesus Christ was bound by nails, so you and I could be liberated and redeemed. Jesus Christ was given God's condemnation so you and I could be privy to God's revelation. He was left completely unprotected, like a lamb led to the slaughter, so you and I could receive God's eternal protection through the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ anticipated the realities of death and wrath so you and I could anticipate life everlasting. Don't you see that all these blessings are only because Jesus took your curses? His substitutionary death gave you a substitutionary life. And if you want these blessings, come to him and they're yours. And there is nothing left to do at the end of this passage than to join Paul in worship. And to tell people who cannot sing today of this incredible salvation we have in Christ. We have been blessed by the Father. We have been blessed by the Son. We have been blessed by the Spirit. Let's worship the triune God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you praise for all the things you've given us in Christ. You've chosen us through election. You've sanctified us, made us holy and blameless. You've adopted us as sons and as daughters. You've given us security. You've given us anticipation of what's to come in, in, in the heavenlies in the future. We just thank you for these blessings, and I pray that you would help them seep into our hearts and help them to change who we are and how we live. May we feel like we have nothing to prove this morning because you have already said we are complete in Jesus. 
May we not dread the future, but anticipate the future because we know your spirit is a guarantee. It's a protector. May these truths really just change us today. And if there's anyone in this room that does not know Christ, who does not have these blessings, I pray that they would receive them today. And they would receive the great blessing, which is Jesus, just knowing him, walking with him, being in him. And these blessings are just in addition to just knowing him. We pray that someone would come to Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.